Last week we started the beginning of our year-long big topic of practicing the ways of Jesus. And the first thing that we looked at last week was the idea of scripture. And that's what we're going to be looking at for the rest of the month. Because one of the things that was so important for Jesus, as Nate let us know last week, was actually God's word. Scripture itself. And so what our hope and our desire is, is that throughout this month you will gain a greater love for God's scripture. That you'll be encouraged and inspired to actually love God's word, to want to know it more and make it part of your practice, the way that you live. Because that's what Jesus did. And if we want to be a follower of Jesus, knowing his word and loving his word is so, so important. You know, one of the things that I'm going to do today is actually just give you some information. I'm going to actually tell you some stuff about this book that really is just information. But my hope and my prayer this morning is that the information I give you will not just stay as knowledge, but will actually help you to know and to understand and for this book to actually be important to you. So often I've found throughout my life that people have been intimidated by the Bible. They've been intimidated to read it, they've been intimidated to share it because they actually don't feel like they know it well enough. Or they will sit in an activate group, they'll sit in church and they'll hear people say things like, oh, everybody knows about. And they sit there thinking, well, I don't know about that, so I better just shut up and be quiet because everybody knows it. And it actually stops us from engaging in the things of God, stops us in loving God's word because we're intimidated by it. So I want to share some things today that for some of you may not be new, but for some of you it might actually unlock some things for you that can really help you know and understand and feel comfortable with the Bible. When I was in grade six, no, probably in year seven actually, I think it was the first time I read the story of Jesus' birth for myself, from the Bible. The story was I was actually born on a Sunday in the evening and the following Sunday I was at my mum and dad's feet in a little basket at church. And so I've been at church going and meeting with God's people for them well, all my life. But when I was in year seven, I read the Bible and read the story of Jesus' birth for the first time, and I was so annoyed. And the thing that annoyed me was because I discovered for the very first time that the wise men weren't even three wise men, who knows how many wise men there were, and they were not there at the stable when Jesus was born. And it annoyed me so much that I went to my mum and dad and I said, I cannot believe this. And they said, yeah, what made you think otherwise? I said, well, every story of Christmas I've heard, the wise men come to the stable. So there's an ongoing joke in my family when we set up the nativity set that even my nephew is in on as to my brothers and sister, or in this case, my nephew this year, puts the wise men as close to the stable as they can. And I always move them away because I'm like, they came about two or three years later, like they're still on their way. But that was my first encounter 
with thinking I knew stuff in the Bible and actually realizing that there were some things I didn't know. And what I'd been taught and what I thought I knew for sure was actually incorrect. And I really do believe that that actually set my course for life because I have such a passion for people to know and understand this book, to know it and understand it for themselves so they don't need to rely on other people, so they don't need to be intimidated by it, but so they can actually pick it up and read it and understand it for themselves. And that is if you are just beginning to understand or whether or not you've been a Christian for years, whether or not you are 88 years old or whether you were like five years old, I truly believe that this book is a book that you can read, that you can understand for yourself. And so what I want to do today is just point out some things about the Bible itself that hopefully helps to enlighten and helps it to become a much more accessible book for you. So the first thing everybody needs to know when they pick up the Bible and read it, it is not fully in chronological order. That really annoys me. I would like to be able to pick up the Bible, start from Genesis, read all the way to Revelation and get the whole story as it is collectively. But the Bible is not set out that way. The Bible, the Old Testament, is set out with historical books to begin with, all about Moses and Abraham and all that kind of stuff. It's not history, it's the law. Anyhow, it's the law. It's all about the, how God set up the way that we should live. Then after that is history, the history of the Israelite people. And that sort of Joshua to Esther is what's considered the history books. And then after the history books is the wisdom and poetry books. That's where you've got the Proverbs, the Psalms, the Song of Songs, those kind of ones. <laughs> then you have the major prophets. <laughs> And then after the major prophets, you end with the minor prophets. Now, when I first heard this, I thought the major prophets must be the most important ones. But they're actually just the bigger books. So the prophets that are the bigger books are called the major prophets, and the prophets that have smaller things to say, not less important, are called the minor prophets. And so because it's ordered in that way, you can't read it from the beginning to the end and get a chronological understanding of the story. Even in the New Testament, you can't. The New Testament starts with the Gospels, then it gives you Acts, then it gives you all of Paul's letters, then it gives you everybody else's letters, and then Revelations. And so that's a really important thing to know when you pick up the Bible, to not expect it to be in chronological order. One of the things I find that people find tricky about the Bible also is the whole Old Testament and how it all fits together. Thank you so much for those who went on Facebook and answered my 21 questions. I really enjoyed yeah, seeing all your answers and seeing what you thought you could share with a friend. And the great thing is that most of you could share most of that stuff with a friend which I think is a really good way of thinking, do I understand this, is could I actually pass it on to someone else? Not just what do I think I know, but could I explain it to someone else? It's a really good way of going, okay, where's my understanding of this? What I want to do is just have a look at the Old Testament. 
And I want to look at the big picture of the Old Testament because the Bible actually has an overarching story. And the story is actually all about relationship. Right from the very beginning in Genesis, when Adam and Eve were made, they were made for relationship. Relationship with God and relationship with each other. And from that point onwards to today, that is God's heart. God's heart is to be known by people and for people to know him. That is what the whole Bible is about. And we see this again and again and again. We see it with Noah when God says, you know what? These people are so not following in my ways that I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to start again. Noah, I'm going to set you apart. I'm going to start with you again. You and your family are going to follow me. You're going to get rid of everybody else. We have what I consider to be one of the funniest stories in the Bible when I was in Sunday school, the Tower of Babel, where they try to make this big tower up to God because they want to be like God. And God goes, no, that's not what this is about. And sends languages so they couldn't understand each other, so they all had to go and spread along across the land. And then from that point, you see that God goes, okay, I'm going to make a nation. I'm going to start with you, Abraham, or Abram. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. And the whole reason Abraham was set apart was not for his own sake, but for the rest of the world. It was actually so that everybody can look at you, Abram, look at your descendants and see how great and good I am as a God. You want to make everybody jealous of your relationship with me. This is what God is saying. So that everybody goes, wow, look at that God. That's the God I want to follow. So the Israelite people were formed. And we find with the Israelite people that God sets them up in the promised land. And when they're in the promised land, God says again to them, hey, let's do this together. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. You'll worship me and me alone. But Israel didn't follow that very well. And time and time again, you see in the book of Judges, that this thing, this cycle that happens, that everybody's worshipping God and following God and thinking God is great. And then they forget about God and they start worshipping other gods. And God goes, well, if that's what you want to do, I will let you do it. And they start following other gods. Other people come and take over. And then they get oppressed. And then Israel calls out to God and says, Oh, God, we forgot about you. Sorry, please come and rescue us. And God sends a judge, a person that comes and rescues them. And it starts all over again. They follow God. They worship God. And they forget about God. They do their own thing. They follow other gods. They get oppressed. Sometimes they get oppressed for years and years and years. And then they go, oh, hang on, we remember God now. God, save us, save us, save us. God comes and saves them. And in the book of Judges, you see that again and again and again. God so wants a relationship with people. People forget about him. They decide that they want to do their own thing. So God lets them. And then they remember God and God comes and rescues them. 
but then they forget again. Not too much, pretty much like what we do sometimes, isn't it? We can look at the Israelites and we can say, hey, how bad were they? But we often have the same thing, where we think God is fantastic and we follow him with all that we have, and then life gets comfortable and we go, yeah, God, we'll put you in the back burner. You will care about other things more than you. And then something happens that makes us go, oh, God, I need to remember you again. Towards the end of Judges, the Israelite people say, hey, we're sick of this happening. We really want a king. And God says, I am your king. But even though God said, hey, this relationship is between you and me, you can don't need a king, the people still said, we want to be like everybody else. We want to be like everyone else. And because we want to be like everyone else, we want a king. And so God says, okay, I'll give you a king. The first king we have is King Saul. Then we have King David. Then from King David, we have King Solomon. And it's at this point in the Bible that something happens that I did not know ever happened until I was 21 years old. And so that's what I want to focus on, and that's what I want to tell you about this morning, is what happens after Solomon. Because there's this vital thing in Israel's history that makes a massive difference to how you read the Bible, but if you don't know it, it's just confusing. And it's in two parts, there's two chapters that talk about this. In 2 Chronicles, verse 12, let me just check them. Oh no, verse 10, and 1 Kings 12. It's exactly the same story. And it's got to do with Solomon's son. So if you want to read it for yourself, I'm going to tell you the story. But you can read it in either 1 Kings 12 or 2 Chronicles 10. So what happens is all of Israel is about to proclaim Rehoboam the king. Rehoboam is Solomon's son and he's the next in line to become king. So all of Israel gathers together to proclaim Rehoboam king. But the people come to Rehoboam and say, hey, you know your father Solomon? He was a fantastic king. We loved him. But he was a bit harsh when it came to taxes. So would you mind making things a bit easier for us and not making us pay so high taxes? And Rehoboam says, let me have a think about it. Give me three days. Everybody go home, come back in three days, and I'll give you my answer. So Rehoboam starts thinking about this. And he goes to his to goes to King Solomon's advisors, the old guys, the guys who'd been with Solomon for years and years, and said to them, Hey, what shall I do? Should I be lenient with the people or not? And all the old guys say, Yes, you should. We don't need as many taxes, like you should lower it, you should show them that you're actually on their side, and if you show them that you're on their side, they'll show you that they are on your side. But Rehoboam didn't like this answer. So he went to his younger guys, his friends, and he said to them, what do you think I should do? And he goes, they go, you know what, if you lower taxes, they're going to think 
that you're weak. They're not going to respect you. And so, no. You shouldn't raise taxes. If anything, you should make them higher. Like, show them that who's boss. Show them that you are king. So three days pass. All of Israel gets back together thinking that Rehoboam was going to be their king. And Rehoboam says, hey, everybody, I'm not going to listen to you. I am the king and you're going to respect me and I'm harsher. Now, all of those words, apart from maybe like Rehoboam, you're not going to actually find in the Bible. But I'm telling you the story. That makes sense? Just the tenure version of the story. So they get there and Rehoboam says, no, not going to listen to you. So 10 tribes all get up and say, okay, you don't have to listen to us. We don't have to listen to you. We're not going to follow you anymore. We're going to follow this guy over here who annoyingly is called Jeroboam. <laughs> How annoying to have two names so similar, so like connected to this story that it's been nice if his name was Simon or a name that had nothing to do with Rehoboam. But it didn't. So his name was Jeroboam. So 10 tribes of out of 12 all say, forget you, Rehoboam, we're following Jeroboam. And they come what is called the Northern Kingdom. They're called Israel. The head of, like, their capital is Samaria. Is Samaria. So they go and they Jeroboam starts to rule them. So Rehoboam is left with Judah, his own tribe. And Benjamin, who's like one of the little tribes, comes along too. So two tribes become the southern kingdom. Ten tribes become the northern kingdom. So Israel is actually split. The northern kingdom, the ten tribes, is called Israel. The bottom, the southern, the two tribes, is called Judah. Now, the reason this is so important to know when you're reading a Bible is because when you read some prophets, some of them will talk about Judah, some of them will talk about Israel, and if you don't know they're talking about different people and different kingdoms, it's really, really confusing. So my desire is that you will know now from this moment on, that there was a split in Israel, in the nation of Israel. The ten went one way, two went the other way. Because that made such a big difference to the nation of Israel. From this time, the ten tribes have multiple kings, they have about 19 kings. Pretty much none of them follow the things of God. There's one king who people would say sort of half did. He got rid of some idols. He did some good things, but then he also did some stuff that was not of God. And so they lasted about 209 years, the northern kingdom. So the ten tribes didn't really follow the things of God. And what happened was a country came and took over. Now, before this country came, there were prophets. And the prophets said, hey, Israel, be careful. Remember God, remember God, remember God. And Israel said, don't want to listen. We don't like your word. That's too harsh. We'd 
rather listen to this prophet over here who's telling us that everything is good and we're fantastic. We'll follow them and not follow this prophet over here that is telling us that we're not doing what God wants us to do. So Assyria came and took over. And when Assyria came and took over the 10 tribes, pretty much from that point on, those 10 tribes weren't really tribes anymore. Because Assyria came and took over and all the Jewish people became like the people around them and the tribes actually disappeared. So then we have these two other tribes, Benjamin and Judah. And they had about 20 kings. But of those 20 kings, five of them were brilliant kings that followed the things of God. One or two of them were like semi-good, but semi did what they wanted and semi did what God wanted to do. And the rest just did what they wanted and forgot about God. If you read through Kings, you will see this phrase again and again and again. Then Israel, then Judah did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Because people forgot about God. Israel forgot what God had said. They forgot the goodness of God and they decided they would do things their way. And it's only because of the kings that did the things that God wanted them to, and even more so, it's only because of the covenant, and next month we're talking about covenant, um, which I think would be really cool because understanding covenants changes everything. But it's only because of the covenant that God made with Abraham, that made with David. God said to David when David was king, your line is going to continue. Said to Abraham, through you all nations will be blessed. And it's only because of that that these two tribes continued. But they still didn't do the things that God wanted them to do, even though prophet after prophet came and said, hey, guys, turn back to God, forget your ways, do things God's ways, but they didn't listen. And so Jeremiah was the last prophet that spoke to Judah at this time. And he said, guys, you're going to be taken over and you're going to be put in exile for 70 years. And that's what happened. But for Judah, Babylon came and took over. And the great thing about the fact that Babylon took over, it actually meant that Babylon left some of the Jewish people back in Jerusalem and in their land, took the best, if you know of the guy called Daniel, he was one of the people that were taken during this time. The Babylonians came and took over and said, we are ruling you, you are paying us taxes, we are in control, but you guys can stay here. We'll take the best of the best back with us to Babylon. And you have the story of Daniel who worked in the Babylon court and stayed in Babylon for the rest of his life. But during that time, God still wanted to have a relationship with people. He still wanted his covenants to remain, his things he promised still held true. And so after those 70 years, Persia took over. And Persia came and said, the king of Persia came and said, hey guys, whoever wants to go back home, 
You can if you want to, but of course we're still ruling you, still pay taxes to us, we're still in control, but you can go do your thing if you want to. And so that's where we get Nehemiah coming in, who went back to build the walls. That's where we get Ezra coming and the temple being built. And even though um, Judah was still being controlled by other nations, they were still allowed to worship the things of God in the midst of being ruled by other nations. Knowing everything I told you, and I hope that wasn't too quick and too fast and made sense to everybody, but knowing that is so, so helpful in reading the Old Testament. If you do not know that Israel is split in two, you will be reading some prophets and not understanding what they're saying. If you do not know that Israel was split in two, then talking about Judah, talking about Israel becomes really confusing. The great thing is that knowing that the nation of Israel was split in two, but God still kept his promise, showed the power of God. Judah remained. Jesus is in the line of Judah. David is in the line of, da of, line of Judah. So Judah had to remain for God's promises to come true. And so knowing this shows us how amazing God is, how gracious God is. It also makes us realise that we are not so different from Israel. That time and time again, we forget the things of God. Time and time again, we do things our way and not God's way. But every time we cry out to God, just like every time that Judah cried out to God, God came and rescued them. Because he's a God of his word, he's a God who keeps his promises, and he's a God who actually wants a relationship with people. That is all that the Old Testament is about. That is all that the New Testament is about. Well, not all, but that's the main big picture of what the Old Testament is about and what the New Testament is about. God saying, I want you. I want you to know me and I want to know you. That doesn't come without conditions. The condition is you need to know me and you need to follow in my ways. And that's what God told Israel again and again and again. That's what the prophets told Israel again and again and again. Unfortunately, ten tribes never turned back to God. And so are dissipated in the nations around them. But two did. Judah and Benjamin, the two tribes, and now the only real Jewish remnant that we have all come back to those two tribes. Knowing that actually makes the Old Testament a whole lot easier to understand. If I did go too fast for you, if that made no sense to you, can I encourage you to read 2 Chronicles verse 10 or 1 Kings 12? You can read both, but if you read both, you'll just be reading really a repeat of, like they're pretty closely, like repeat each other. Um, because knowing this divide that happened in the Old Testament makes it so much accessible and so much easier. One more thing that I think I want you guys to know today. And that is 
that Jesus was not just an afterthought. When you look at Genesis, it actually says, let us make man in his own image, mm -hmm. which indicates that there's more than just God. The Trinity is there at the beginning. Mm -hmm. When you read the Old Testament and you read about um, Abraham being set apart, Abraham is being set apart so that nations will be blessed through him. Mm -hmm. That culminates with Jesus. When you look at the, the temples that were built, when you look at the sacrifices that were made, they actually all point to Jesus' death. They're a precursor because Jesus had not yet come but was coming. There's some prophecies, especially in Isaiah but in other places too, that actually speak directly of the Emmanuel, the one to come. Right from the beginning, God knew that we could never have a relationship with him on our own. Israel tried for many, many years, and as we've heard this morning, failed again and again and again and again. If we could have a relationship with God of our own, Jesus wouldn't have to come. Yeah. But God knew right from the beginning that Jesus was the answer. And so the Old Testament actually leads us and gives us a greater understanding of who Jesus is and what he's actually done. The fact that he was a spotless lamb, he gets called in the New Testament. That is a direct relationship to the Old Testament and the sacrifices that need to be made in the Old Testament. The Old Testament actually gives you so much depth of understanding of who Jesus is, what he has done for us, and so many things that even Paul talks about refers back to Old Testament stuff. In Romans, he talks about Adam being the first man that introduced sin and Jesus being the first man who introduced salvation. So can I encourage you to not find the Old Testament intimidating? Can I encourage you to know your Bible as well as you can so that you know for yourself that you understand what it's about? So I really hope that this morning has given you a glimpse and some knowledge that makes you go, oh, I now know something I didn't know. Or if you knew it all before, I hope it was a really good recap to remind you of the importance of some of the things of the Old Testament. As I said before, I love helping people understand the Bible more. And so if what I've said is too fast for you, if you're someone who comes to church on a Sunday or goes to a small group or doesn't open up your Bibles because you don't feel like you know enough, can I encourage you that you probably do know more than you think you do? The opening up the Bible and reading it doesn't require anything more than a heart to actually read and understand. Mm, that when you have the Holy Spirit within you, he's the one that leads you and guides you. There is some knowledge that's nice to have, but it should never negate reading the Bible for yourself. But if there's things that get you stuck, 
if there's things that you go, oh, because everybody knows this and I don't, I actually don't engage in the Bible or in discussions like I should, don't leave it there. Find out what you want to know. The internet is brilliant. If you want to know why a book was written, you can just type in, why was the book of Joel written? And it will tell you. If you don't want to go the technology route, find someone who knows something that you don't know and ask them to explain it to you. I'd be really happy to catch up with anybody and tell you what I know. You can tell me what you know and we can learn and grow together. And I'm sure there's other people here too. But if you want someone to actually journey with you and help you to understand, so the Bible is a book that you love, that you know, that you want to pick up and that you want to be able to explain to other people and share with other people. Um, there, I know plenty of people on this Zoom call that would love to tell you what they know. Nobody knows everything, but they can tell you what they know and you can tell them what you know because you probably know stuff that I don't know that would be great for me to know. So don't be intimidated by the things of God. Definitely don't be intimidated by the Bible. But let's be people who search out the things that we don't know so that we can understand what we can understand and so the Bible can be all that it's meant to be for us, the living, active Word of God that changes our lives. I told you at the beginning that I was going to give you a whole lot of information and that's all I've really done this morning. But my prayer and my desire is that this information actually leads you to a closer relationship with God that knowing some of the things I've shared, understanding how it sort of all fits together is actually going to help you pick up the Bible more, help you engage with it more, and help you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak and move and work because that is what God wants. Mm -hmm. He wanted it in Genesis. He wanted it in, in Romans. He wanted it in Ezra. He wanted it in Revelations. He, all through the Bible, he, in, through it all, from Genesis to Revelations, God wanted a relationship with people, and that has not changed. That is why we have the Bible. That is why we have the Holy Spirit, so that you can know the things of God and you can be known by God. I'm going to pray. Hey, God, I really want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you that it is living and active, that it was written so many, so many years ago, but it still makes a difference today. It can still make a difference in our lives, God. And so I pray, God, that we will not let the things that we don't know intimidate us from picking up your word, that we'll grow in our understanding of the things of yourself, God, and that will help us. That knowledge won't just be, hey, I know something, but it'll actually inspire us to know you more, to pass you on to other people and to read your word. Amen.